Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news and Hoosier law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Olivia Covington, Indiana Lawyer Editor and your host for this week. Thanks for joining us. Some personal news to share with you before we get started. This will be my last episode of the Indiana Lawyer Podcast. At the end of the day on February 27th, I'll be signing off as editor to begin a new career venture in a new state. It has been my genuine pleasure to engage with all of you on the podcast and through our other news products, but don't worry. I'm staying in the legal profession, so maybe our paths will cross again. But for now, let's get to the reason you're here, this week's legal news. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, and these are your headlines. First, some big news from the Indiana Supreme Court. On February 15th, the justices issued an order allowing certain graduates of non-American Bar Association accredited law schools to sit for the Indiana Bar Exam. Under the amended Section 4 of Admission and Discipline Rule 13, graduates of non-ABA law schools could take the Indiana Bar in two situations. The first is if the applicant graduated from an American law school, was eligible to take the bar in another state, and the Board of Law Examiners finds the applicant is qualified by education or experience to take the Indiana Bar. The second is if the applicant completed law school outside of the United States, obtained a graduate degree from an ABA-approved law school in a program based on American law, and the BLE finds the applicant is qualified to take the Indiana Bar by education or experience. According to the justices, quote, the board should grant a waiver when doing so would be in the public interest after balancing all relevant factors, including the applicant's educational history and achievement, work history and achievement, bar exam results from other jurisdictions, desire to practice law in Indiana, and familiarity with the American legal system. The board's decision is subject to final approval, end quote. The amendment to Rule 13, which takes effect July 1st, is a win for Purdue Global Law School, an online-only school currently based in California. Right now, graduates of Purdue Global Law can only take the bar in California, but school leaders have been pushing for its graduates to take the bar in Indiana as a way to help ease the state's lawyer shortage. Alexis Schrake will have more on the rule change in our February 28th issue, so be on the lookout for that. In other Supreme Court news, the justices issued a second notable order on February 15th, this one related to election law. You're probably familiar with the case brought by John Rust, a U.S. Senate candidate who wants to appear on the Republican ballot in Indiana's May primary election. Rust is challenging Indiana Code Section 3-8-2-7A4, which requires a candidate who wants to appear on a major party's primary ballot to have pulled that party's primary ballot in the last two elections they voted in. Rust doesn't meet that requirement, and the Jackson County Republican Party chair has declined in the alternative to certify him to appear on the GOP ballot. A trial judge enjoined the statute back in December, finding that it violated the First and Fourteenth Amendments. But the justices put a stay on that order, meaning, at least for now, Rust can continue to be kept off the Republican ballot. The Supreme Court's February 15th order didn't break down the justices' votes or rationale. That's coming in a subsequent order, so stay tuned for more coverage. One more piece of news from the state Supreme Court out of the infamous case of the 2017 Delphi murders. Back in January, the justices reinstated the defense team for Richard Allen, the man charged with killing Delphi teens Abby Williams and Libby German, after a special judge disqualified his attorneys. 
The court's initial order didn't explain its rationale, but they did so in an order issued February 8th. According to the justices, Special Judge Fran Gohl did not identify extraordinary circumstances that would justify removing defense counsel. Justice Derek Moulter wrote, quote, Whether as a product of a defendant's right to due process or the right to counsel, the bottom line is this. A trial court cannot disqualify court-appointed counsel over the objection of both the defendant and appointed counsel unless A. Disqualification is a last resort. B. Disqualification is necessary to protect the defendant's constitutional rights, to ensure the proceedings are conducted fairly and within our professional ethical standards, or to ensure the orderly and efficient administration of justice. And C. Those interests outweigh the prejudice to the defendant. End quote. But the justices didn't condemn Gohl's decision. In fact, they acknowledged that she was in a, quote, tough spot either way. But Justice Jeffrey Slaughter dissented, writing separately that Gold did not violate an absolute duty in dismissing court-appointed counsel because Allen did not have an unquestioned right to keep them. Shifting gears to the federal courts, a judge of the Indiana Southern District Court has upheld Indiana's practice of allowing contingency fee forfeiture prosecutions. The case involves Indiana Code Section 342418, which allows elected prosecutors to contract with private attorneys to prosecute civil forfeiture actions on a contingency fee basis that allows the private lawyer to keep a statutorily set percentage of the forfeiture proceeds. The Institute for Justice challenged that statute as a violation of the 14th Amendment, but Judge James Sweeney disagreed. In an order issued February 7th, Sweeney noted that historically, quote, states provided for law enforcement by informers working for a reward, end quote. Applying that historical practice to Indiana's contingency fee forfeiture system, Sweeney wrote, quote, to argue that a prosecutor becomes too zealous when motivated by a contingency fee is to deny the basic premise of the adversary system. There is no correct level of motivation, just as there is no correct level of skill. The idea is that each side will put its best foot forward and the neutral tribunal will find the truth, end quote. The Institute for Justice vowed to appeal that ruling to the Seventh Circuit, releasing a statement saying, quote, Every forfeiture defendant has the right to a prosecutor who is financially disinterested and whose incentive is to do justice, not turn a profit, end quote. And now for some news about new judges at both the state and federal levels. In Marion County, Governor Eric Holcomb has appointed Richard Blakelock and Magistrate Judge Marie Kern to seats on the Superior Court bench. Blakelock was most recently the managing partner at the Indianapolis firm of Lewis Wagner. He replaces the late Judge Chatrice Flowers, who died in November. Kern was most recently a magistrate in the Marion Superior Court Family Division. She replaces now Senior Judge Heather Welch, who retired earlier this year. And in the federal courts, a new magistrate has been appointed to the Indiana Northern District Bench to replace Judge Joshua Kolar. You likely remember that Kolar was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals last month, so Abizer Zanzi has been appointed to replace him as a Northern District Magistrate. Also confirmed last month were Judges Crystal Briscoe and Gretchen Lund, who each now sit on the Northern District Bench. Applications are being accepted through March 4th to fill their vacancies on the St. Joseph and Elkhart Superior Courts, respectively. You can find more information about those confirmations and the vacancies on our website. And finally, to wrap up this week's headlines, I want to let you know that our February 28th issue will feature a familiar topic, marijuana. 
That's right. We're returning to the topic of marijuana legalization in Indiana as the legislature considers various marijuana-related bills. If you want the latest in the state's cannabis news, be sure to pick up the February 28th issue. Okay, that'll do it for this week's headlines. As always, if you want more legal news, check us out at theindianalawyer.com. Plus, stick around after our sponsor break to hear Alexa's extended interview with an attorney who has found a new direction in his post-law firm life. Before I sign off, let me thank you all again for being such loyal listeners and readers. It's been a pleasure bringing you Indiana's top legal news each week. I'll see you around. Taft. Today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. I have with me today in the studio Kevin McGough author and retired lawyer from Bingham Greenbaum Doll LLP for 17 years. Since his retirement, McGough has developed a successful program to complement his book, Find Your Landing Zone, Life Beyond the Bar, published by the ABA in August 2023. The seminar is designed to motivate lawyers and other professionals to progress from thinking about what's next in life to creating a personal plan to make it happen. Kevin, to start, tell us about your legal career. Well, I, my first job in the, the law was working for the Indiana Supreme Court Disciplinary Commission. I was a law clerk there for a couple of years, and then I stayed on as a lawyer for, for another year for Mr. Sheldon Bresco. He's a great boss. I left there and was in a small firm in Greenfield. And after that, I started my own practice. And ultimately, with Dick Kiefer, we shared space together. We started a law firm. That law firm grew to 10 lawyers, and we, we merged our law firm, which was an older iteration of the Bingham Law Firm, which merged again to 200 lawyers. And, and during that time, I, was, I did lots of criminal defense work. I did family law, but I also represented a lot of lawyers and judges in ethics issues before the disciplinary commission or gave them prospective legal advice. And that led to a background that became interesting to the firm. Then it was Bingham Greenbaum Dahl, and I became the general counsel for that law firm in 2012 and finished my career uh, in that role, which I was the best gig in law that I had. I really enjoyed it. So what was your inspiration behind the book and the seminar? I've been doing lawyer training for a long time I, I with Chuck Kidd, uh, who was a uh, staff lawyer at the Disciplinary Commission, we developed a seminar for ICLEF long ago. And so I always liked the training aspect of the legal world. And as I was winding down, Scott King at the Indiana Continuing Legal Education Forum said, you ought to put something together that talks about lawyers transitioning either into another career, into retirement, or maybe diverging in, in the field that they're already in. He said, you had such a strategic plan to your, your life where you've slowly got out of the law, started traveling more, living in France part of the year. And I laughed out loud. I said, Scott, there was nothing strategic about this. It just happened. And he said, eh, 
put it to pencil and, and see what you think. And so, so I did. He and I started working on this seminar, and he said, I think you ought to think about a book. And I'd, in 2016, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I, when I stopped practicing law, I went to a travel writing course in Denver, spent the weekend there, and I started writing travel stories to learn how to transition my writing from doing briefs and legal memorandum and such to another genre. And that led to taking creative writing class, which led me to meet a, an editor who helped me turn the pages that I had put together for Scott that were sort of a jumble into the book. And then I had the good fortune to to have a meeting with uh, Donna Goldman, the, who's the the ABA publisher. She's the, that's her title, and she liked the manuscript. And the ABA published the book last summer. So it was pretty much happenstance how that happened, like a lot of things in life. So how often do you hold the seminar? I've been doing the seminar now for three years. It predates the book because it takes a while, as you know, to get something in print. And so over the past three years, I've done this seminar about four times a year for ICLEF, but I've also uh, had a program with the American Bar Association scheduled to speak at the Indianapolis Bar Association's Bench Bar this summer. I'm working with a group at the Indiana State Bar Association to make a presentation this summer. And, and hopefully some other organizations that I'm still dropping the hints to, and, and we'll see if that works out. Did you ever expect that you might write a book one day? It's one of those things that rested in the back of my head. Uh, even when I was in college, there was a, a, uh, a time where I was on the wait list for law school, and so I thought, well, I'll just go to get a, a PhD in history and teach and write. And I had an article published in a American History Illustrated magazine when I was in college. So I, I always, I liked writing, but like anything else, you get, I mean, lawyers, at least certainly myself, we're writing every day. You're writing letters, you're, you're writing briefs, memorandum. And so I was always writing. One time I thought about writing an ethics book, but I didn't have the discipline to sit down and, and you know, get up at four o'clock in the morning and write for two hours before work. And so that project never got off the ground. So it was always in, in my head and it just took um, a little motivation. And, and I have to say the editor that I hired that helped me out was, it took about from, from the seed to finish about three years and it could have been done faster. And there was certainly a time where, where Doris, my editor, would call and say, well, you know, you've got this far. Why don't you finish this thing? And so it does. It's uh, it's a bit more difficult than I thought it would be to write a book. And I, I think probably other authors maybe have different experiences, but certainly mine is that that to try to make it sound right. And, uh, you know, it's it a challenge that took a little longer, but I would, uh, I think I'll do it again. So I'm not totally discouraged. <laughs> That's good. What has the uh, the reaction been so far to your book? I've had a couple of conversations that were really gratifying. The, the one was just a couple of weeks ago, where a doctor friend of mine is retiring, and so I knew she was going to retire, 
And I dropped off a copy of the book with a little note inside of it at her office. Didn't hear anything from her for a couple months. She calls out of the blue and said, hey, would you like to go have a beer? And I said, sure. So, so we met at a local pub and, and had a beer and she brought with her my book that was all dog-eared. There's 29 exercises in the book that I designed to get lawyers to think about their talents, to think about their past, about their future, what they're good at, what they need to work on. And she filled out a lot of these exercises and said, look, I'm, I'm not finished with it, but I'm already feel like I'm on my feet and some of what you've said have, has really resonated. And so that was very gratifying. She was taking it to Florida with her on her retirement commencement trip. Uh, and, and that that made me feel like, okay, it was worth it. And I had another friend that, that's sort of the same thing where in the early days of this, when I was piloting the seminar, she let me present the seminar to her organization. And in the course of that, we talked a lot. And a couple of years later, she tells me that I said, well, you're not with the company anymore. And she said, no, I, I made a decision in part inspired by the conversation that we had and what you were putting together for our program to take the leap. And so she left a cushy job and, and started on her own business. And she's doing well and hustling and enjoying it. And yeah, it's great to sell books, but it really is more about that, that, that you never know if when you write something or try to sell something, if the person that's on the receiving end appreciates it, unless they call you up or sit down. And as you know, most people, when they critique something, it's usually a one star. And, you know, I had a terrible meal or there was a bed was lumpy at the hotel, the resort stunk. So to have a positive reaction was really nice. What, you know, kind of switching gears a little bit and kind of focusing on you, you know, what inspires you? Well, I'm a, a reader. I, I always have a book or two going and have found that you can read a book that has 300 pages in it, but there might be two paragraphs that I highlight on the Kindle and go back to that, that sink in and give me the opportunity to think. So I'd say what's, what inspires me now is opportunity, that, that I have an opportunity to do what I want. And, and I'm, I'm inspired by others that have gone before me that I've kind of taken a cue from them to recognize that in the end, that the difference between you and I and somebody that we think is hugely successful mostly is about the fact that they got off the couch and went to work. It wasn't that they were any smarter. Certainly there's certain talents, so like I'm not gonna be a violin player, I'm not gonna play for the Pacers, but I'm not, probably not gonna be a poet or a singer either. You know, there's, there's people that have written books there. Mar Marcel Pagnol was an inspiration to me. He, Marcel Pagnol was a, he was a famous French playwright. He, he developed film, he owned a movie studio eventually. He figured out as these mediums changed how to spring into new ones. So when he's 60 some years old, he's having lunch, he's a great storyteller, was telling stories and the editor of Elle Magazine said, I'd love if you'd put your boyhood stories that you're telling us around the lunch table to writing. So he does and they become very popular 
but he totally transformed things in his early 60s. And, and when I first became acquainted with Panyol, that's I was about that age, and I thought, well, okay, this guy's famous, and he's talented in the world of theater and such. But in the end, he was writing books, which is a change from what his day job was. And I thought, you know, I, I can do that too at that age. There's no, you don't necessarily have to start being a writer when you're 20. I mean, a lot of people did, but there's certainly others that were publishing you know, well after that. And so it's in, in what I'm interested in doing, what I what I have some aptitude for doesn't necessarily have an age requirement to it. It just, it has an interest requirement and enthusiasm requirement and a get moving requirement because it's easy when you don't have a deadline, which any trial lawyer knows. And I can't tell you how many judges, one great judge from down the block here who once said that I'm like the lifeguard on the day that the water's cold. He said, I got to push you lawyers into the water. You know, somebody's going to trial on Monday, but it's going to happen. And if you don't make deadlines for yourself, then you'll always be standing there with your toe in the water instead of jumping in. Kind of uh, looking at, you know, what you mean you have a lot of free time now that you're retired. Um, what are some of your hobbies? Um, we, Patty, my wife and I, we, we just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. We travel a lot. We live part of the year in France, typically spring and fall, and we're, we spend a month in Mexico just because it's cold in France and it's cold in Indianapolis. Our kids are scattered between London, Cleveland, and Indianapolis, and so travel is part of what we've enjoyed. I, I like to bike ride. I, I picked it up during covid when we stayed in France for nine months and I bought a nice bike and, and I ride two or three days a week when in France with these French guys that are about my age and it's out in the country and Southern, Southern France where it's warm and pretty. There's some hills that are a little challenging. And here in Indianapolis, I, I've got a buddy that I grew up with and he and I take off riding. So I, I, I rode 400 miles in the month of October, which is not a lot for some people, but it was a lot for me, and I had a good time doing it. That'd be a lot for me. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it, though. It's fun. <laughs> you know, kind of going back to your book, um, what do you hope people take away from it? Well, I think three things. One is, and certainly the first and foremost, is that you have the capacity to change if you want to do and and some people don't, and I I'm, I get that. I have a good friend who's an 80 year old, still trying cases around the country. Off, I don't. I'm not interested in your book. I don't care what you're selling. But there's others like we talked before who say, I man, I would, I'd really like to do some. I'd like to slow down and do something different, or I'd like to change even what I'm doing within the law. And so. I think people need to take the leap and and that takes some courage. And so you do have to build some courage to pull this off. And putting this together, I spoke with a career coach who was really helpful in explaining to me the sort of the lawyer psyche that there are uh, lawyers are introverts, you know, not everyone, but a lot, which is sort of interesting given what the field does. But, but taking the leap is, is, key. Getting help, 
is critical to this. And that help can come in a lot of forms. There's plenty of reading material. I used to, I'd go to the self-help section of the bookstore here in Indy. I think it's a misnomer. There's a lot of good books. Victor Frankl's next to Dr. Phil doesn't make sense, but they're in the same catalog. And so I'd pick up a Hemingway and maybe a backpacking in Thailand book and sit them on the table and spread out the various self-help books. So if you or anybody else that came along and said, oh, Kevin's in the self-help book section, what's that all about? It's I'd be quick to say, no, I'm here picking up Hemingway. I got a friend in need and I'm kind of helping them out to, to hide from the reality of there's just tons of good information there. And so, so having the courage to take the leap and doing the research on your own and talking to people that have been down the road before. I, I'm a believer in, in the coaching I had, the luxury of a law firm that uh, provided resources to dip our toes in coaching if we wanted to, and then you match it with your own funds. And I had a very good experience with that. Financial planning, just talking to people who've done it before to say, honestly, tell me what you think, how'd you go about it? So that you put your own plan together. And, and in the end, I think that it, it's really a function of, of doing it, that there's uh, resources such as beyond the, the lawyer world, such as there's a man, his name is Albert Brooks. He wrote a book called From Strength to Strength. It's a short read, as is Find Your Landing Zone, it purpose, which is purposely short. And I think Brooks is the same. But there's a lot of inspirational snippets in that book that I found meaningful. Matt Haig wrote a book called The Midnight Library. And that it's it's a novel, but but in there, the snippet that I took away that I feel is tremendously important is that if you chose to do one thing different today, even your entire life could change. And that's the whole point of his book, and it's also the point of mine, I think, that if you, sometimes these things happen to you unconsciously, or you have no direction, right? I mean, I moved, my dad got transferred to Indianapolis when I was two. I had nothing to do with that, but for that, I would never have met my wife, guy ride bikes. I mean, my life would be totally different had I made some other decisions along the way to go to school and study history instead of law. choices I made about cases that I took or didn't take. I mean, and, and so in the course of anybody's life, there's all these little things that are happening, sometimes perhaps not consciously, but they're out there and those experiences that you can draw from as a young person, as you grow through whatever career that you're doing, you ended up with this huge bank of knowledge and talents and things that you like to do that if you draw on those, you, you have a pretty nice life. If you sit back though and just say, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do if I retire. I don't know that I really like what I'm doing or I'd like to do that, but that takes a little work. You know, you end up less satisfied than you need to be just by taking the plunge. Yeah, that's really great advice. You know, where, where can people find your book? It is, it's on Amazon if you just type in uh, McGoff, M-C-G-O-F-F, Kevin, it, it'll lead you to, to, the, uh, to the book. And uh, the ABA has it on their website. And uh, I think Borders, or not Borders, Barnes & Noble, it's in the bookstore. It's not in the store, but it's on their online 
you can purchase it. Yeah. I think even it, Target too. <laughs> <laughs> is it um, online and uh, in print as well? It is. It, it's yeah. an. It's there's a. I don't. It's not an audio, but it's it's certainly it's an online book and also it's a print book. Gotcha. Well, that's awesome. Alrighty. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to talk about that I didn't think to ask you? The the, America, the, the ABA has made a, a discount code available that the Indiana lawyer will give you access to. And if you type in the, the code, then you can get a 20% discount on the book. And if you if you like it, it'd be great if you gave it a review on Amazon. If you didn't, give me a call so that we can talk. I'd really like to know how to make it better. <laughs> Are we going to see a second book from you? I think so. I've been encouraged by various non-lawyers who have looked at this and said, you know, there's application here for other professional people or people who are just curious about how to make a change in their life or to retire in a graceful way. And the title leads people to think it's just a lawyer book and it's not. I've had, like I told you the story about the doctor, but I've had other physicians. I, some of the my beta readers were not lawyers and they gave me the same pitch that you know, you could tweak this and maybe market it differently to other people. And so the opportunity is there for me, but it, yeah, I need to follow my own advice, right? I need to get going. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Okay. That'll do for this week's interview. Kevin, thank you again for joining me today. To our listeners, head over to theindianalawyer.com to hear our past interviews. You can also find us on your favorite podcast apps. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>